So when we understand that it's something within them that is going on, we're able to remove ourselves from the situation enough. It doesn't mean it won't hurt. It's still going to hurt when they project onto you. We're, we're only human. But when we can get that in our heads and go, ah, okay, this is something that's going on within you. And if I focus now on regulating myself and building that self-trust in my everyday life and working on myself and figuring out who I am and bringing self-awareness to everything I do, I won't allow you to tell me who I am because I know who I am. Dear Balancer, I know you're a determined person on the lookout for ways to live a more fulfilling and balanced life, but you're busy. And if we're being honest, that busyness often comes at the expense of your priorities. The Balance Theory podcast is made to teach busy bees just like you how to find and own your own definition of balance so that you can become unapologetic in how you choose to spend your time. I'm your host, Erica, and together, let's find your unique balance. All right, Balancers, today's guest is a holistic counsellor who has specialised and niched into relationships. She's also the founder of the JAR Academy, and today we're going to be talking about a lot of really interesting things that underpin that middle pillar of our balance theory, which is relationships. Now, I haven't had many guests on that really have dedicated a whole episode to this, so I'm super excited. We're going to be talking about things like conscious relationships, attachment styles, how to improve your communication, aligned relationships, and anything that falls in between that. So it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Simi Gosling to the Balance Theory Podcast. Simi, a warm welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Erica, and I'm super excited to talk to you and your audience today and really get stuck into what's healthy and how we can better balance ourselves and our relationships. Yeah, I love it. It's a topic I'm really passionate about. Now, you probably get this question a lot and it's totally off topic. Are you related to Ryan Gosling? No, thank God. He's so hot. So it would be a problem if it was. (laughs) That's hilarious. I wasn't expecting that answer, but that is a good point. Well made, well made. Thank you. (laughs) So talking about JAR Academy, can you share a little bit about what it is, what your your pillars or your mission is with, um, with your business that you've started? So with JAR Academy, the ultimate goal is to create resources that anyone can have access to. I think it's so easy for us to feel like we're unlovable and it's only us and we're we're the only ones facing these issues. And it's about kind of normalizing everything that we've been through and our experiences and knowing that we can not only overcome these wounds, but find a love that actually serves us and we serve the other person So yeah, that's kind of the goal at the moment with all of it. I think it's been so beautiful to have an audience that's willing to um, deep dive with me. So I feel very honored and blessed. That's beautiful. And and at the moment, it's an app as well as on on like a website, right? At the moment, I just have the app. Um, I did have a website, but I'm currently um, pulling all of that down and we're going to make an online um, course, um, which people can book into like one of six. And it's all about really niche areas that people kind of fall into and they need help with, whether it's um, going from toxic love to healthy love or dealing with attachment styles or um, just kind of how to also unfuck yourself, excuse my language, but we can feel like we, we're at a point where we're dating the same person over and over and over and it's all about kind of unraveling to move forward. Yeah, amazing. Well, I love all of that. Speaking of attachment styles, it's one of the things I wanted to chat to you about today. Can you just explain at a high level what they are and why they're important in terms of a relationship? Yeah, so when we're talking about attachment styles, we're talking about attachment theory, which is the way that we attach or relate to our primary relationships. 
as children, this was our primary caregivers. And as adults, this is often our romantic relationships. However, it can extend to family and friends, depending on what you've been through in your life as well. So we've kind of got four key attachment styles. However, I find it really important to note that no one fits in one box neatly. You can pendulum and swing based on what's happening in your life and you can move towards a more secure attachment style when you're regulated or single. As we all know, when we're single, we just think, I'm fine, everything's great. And then you meet someone and it all comes back up again. So there's definitely a lot of swinging. But the first one we have is like our secure attachment style. And a secure attached person is someone who feels relatively, which is a key word, secure in saying their needs, their wants, and their desires, and that they have a relatively good understanding that someone who else who is secure will respond in a timely and appropriate manner. So if you've got your needs met as a child, you're going to start to build that secure attachment. Someone who has an anxious attachment, and when I like to explain attachment styles, I talk with kind of a visualization of if you've got two people on a cliff and there's a bridge in between, an anxious attachment will not trust the bridge and think it's going to break. So what they want to do is run to the other side as quickly as they can and get there and then they're going to be safe. That's what they think is going to happen. But really what we want in our healthy relationships is the ability for both people to walk across the bridge. When we have an avoidant attachment, they will generally, when they're on the cliff edge, be regulated and want that connection and to go across the bridge. But they remember the times that the bridge is broken. So they're very scared to take that next step. Every bit of vulnerability or creaking from the bridge, they, they run back and they run away to regulate themselves. And when we deal with a disorganized, they kind of swing between the two. So they'll walk out onto the bridge or start to creak, they'll run away and then they'll panic that they've run away. So they'll run back again. So you kind of have this mix and You can definitely work with an attachment style to move towards a more secure attachment and it's about learning how to self-regulate yourself and work with your own emotional regulation and building that self-trust in yourself that maybe you didn't receive as a child. Mm. What I really appreciate about this is that to strengthen your relationship or to move towards a more secure attachment style, it actually involves you working on yourself. And I think for a lot of people that self-care, self-love piece sometimes they feel really guilty about because it takes them away from other people. But this is a classic example of why it's so important to put that time and energy into yourself to actually strengthen and be able to give from a healthier place to others. So when you talk about, you know, moving towards a secure attachment style and being better self-regulated, what are some of the signs that you are self-regulated or what are some of the things a self-regulated person would do? Just like kind of in real life, practical examples, whether it be just an individual on their own or as an individual in a relationship? So as an individual on their own, when you have a crisis or you feel yourself dysregulated or anxious, it's the ability to ask yourself, what do I need right now? And it can be very difficult to go from 100% of anxiety down to zero, but it's the point of trying to regulate those emotions and going through the motions of like breath work or meditation or journaling or whatever that person decides they need to help bring that emotional charge out of a situation. When we're in a relationship, when we're kind of failing to do that, it's when as soon as we feel that emotional charge, it's I I have to go to you and I have to sort it out. And our partners want to help us. They want to always do what they can if they're, you know, a good person. But what they don't want is to 
to deal and be impacted by all of that emotion rather than dealing with the situation. So there has to be a level of responsibility where we learn how to bring that emotional charge out of the situation and then ask for our needs and desires to be met. Mm, Really interesting. And in your um, practice and your experience, do you think it's common or have you seen that it's common that people are quite secure as themselves and then the second they get in a relationship, like you were saying, obviously it's it's not a one-size-fits-all category, but then they all of a sudden are not secure. And and what do you think is kind of the best way to bridge that gap? Because it's interesting, right? I feel like, and I ask this question in the context of having been in a position way in the past in previous relationships where I found like I lost myself in a relationship and I almost became another version of me. And, and sometimes I feel like you bounce off the other person and that's not to take the liability or the responsibility off yourself to stay connected with yourself. But I feel like sometimes depending on the partner you're with, that can also potentially impact the way you feel in a relationship. So I guess my question is for someone who feels like they are secure, but then potentially in relationships, it's with a romantic partner or even friendships, right? Like I feel like these attachment styles could also spill across other relationship areas. How do we sort of find that security again? Yeah, so it's so tricky because I see this a lot and a lot of my clients come to me for this because they feel like they're good and then they get back in that relationship and it all flares up again. And the reality is is it's all a projection of what's going on inside of us. So whether we have it in one person, we're bound to have it and find it again in another. Our our old brain, is, if we'll call it that, or it our survival brain, if you will, It doesn't really care about uh, long-term relationships. It cares about mating and it cares about mixing up the gene pool. That's what we were designed to do. primal instincts. Yeah. (laughs) So when we find relationship partners, we tend to find ones that feel familiar to those primary caregivers that we have. Um, So a lot of the time we will date and find that avoidant if we're anxious again and again and again. So it kind of comes down to having to learn how to create that self-love in yourself to be able to move on and find something different. I think I've deviated from the question here again. Sorry, can you hit me back with that one? No, all good. I think it was uh, it was just asking how to find your own self, like your own security in in a relationship where you feel like you might lose that. Yes, yeah, sorry. Um so finding that own security, it's about being able to recognize when those attachment styles are coming up again and again and finding a partner and finding one that w- is happy to work with you to find that security. When you date different yeah. people, of course, their different attachment styles are going to bring out different parts and different things within you as well. So it's about taking that step back and being able to look for from an external view to see what's really going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was more, I think you've answered the question there because it's it's really everyone has their own attachment styles. And so when you kind of mix yourself into that, it can, it can really imprint on you in different ways. But you brought up projection, which is something I wanted to chat mm-hmm. to you about. And um, essentially like my understanding of it is, is when you've got your own internal beliefs, ideologies about how the world is, you can very easily project that onto others. My question, however, is when other people are doing that to us, so it might be in a romantic relationship, I just want to know how can we approach those situations? Because it can often be quite challenging. I've experienced it in the context of a family relationship, and it's almost been like a bit of an attack style situation. Um, Just curious, when you acknowledge and can see that someone is projecting, how do you then go about dealing with that? Because there's a level of like letting it affect you to a certain point, but then you need to 
detach from it as well. So sorry, I don't know if that's a very convoluted question, but it's basically how to deal with other people's projections or acknowledge them in the first place, you know, recognize them. Yeah, so it's really important when you're dealing with other people's projections that we kind of have a really clear understanding of what that is. So it comes from uh, Carl Jung's theory, which is the shadow traits. And it's basically parts of your personality that you have rejected because accepting that about yourself might be too painful or it means change and our brains don't want to change. We want to stay comfortable. So for example, if someone else is very open with their sexuality and very fluid and easy moving and open and I have rejected that part of myself, I then might project my feelings and emotions and have a almost an overreaction towards their behaviors. So when we understand that it's something within them that is going on, we're able to remove ourselves from the situation enough. It doesn't mean it won't hurt. It's still going to hurt when they project onto you. We're, we're only human. But when we can get that in our heads and go, ah, okay, this is something that's going on within you. And if I focus now on regulating myself and building that self-trust in my everyday life and working on myself and figuring out who I am and bringing self-awareness to everything I do, I won't allow you to tell me who I am because I know who I am. It's mm. it's a constant self-love practice that we need to maintain. And you'll notice the key difference when you're not putting in the work to yourself and someone projects onto you, you're so much quicker to bite back and, and get in there and get quite involved. But when we practice all those tools, we're able to kind of stay really grounded in who we are and what we believe in ourselves. Yeah, I think that's a really nice point. Like the, the fact that A, it's it's still going to hurt either way. And mm-hmm. but B, it's it's an ongoing thing. Because I think sometimes we think, oh, I've done the work, I'm good now. And then you realize, okay, well, life happens and maybe you've fallen out of touch with your self-care. And then, you know, something like that happens, you have an interaction and you realize, shit, I need to like up it again or I need to maintain it. It's like a garden bed, right? Like it's always needing to be fostered. Absolutely. Um, And sorry, just to add on to something you you said there as well, that's one key thing in relationships that I like to teach because when two people meet each other, we generally give up that self-care and that self-love because we just want to be with them all the time. And I'm not going to go to the gym. I'm going to go to the movies. And when we lose that, Anytime you stop looking after yourself and doing that self-care routine, give it six weeks and you're going to feel miserable. So what tends to happen is six weeks later, we feel miserable, but we blame the other person. But really, if you had done that on your own, you still would have felt miserable. So no matter what aspect your relationship is at, it's so key to keep these things going. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I want to add here is I think if you're in that headspace where you're constantly working on yourself, right, and you're constantly nurturing yourself, you get to a point where for you to hurt someone else or attack someone else is so far from your realm of possibility that when you see someone else doing it, it's no longer, oh, my God, I feel attacked. It's For me, it's more like, I actually, they must be going through a lot of stuff, like, because it's just a reflection. I I just think sometimes, like, even something silly with, like, online comments, right? Like, I'm sure you've had your fair share as well. You just think, like, you know, like, what is going on in, in people's own relationship with themselves that then they feel the need to comment that on other people? Like, it's so far from... what I would think to do, you know, to to actually, you might think things, sure, but to actually go and comment and, you know, hurt someone overtly, um, you know, I just think when when you're in that headspace of working on yourself and bettering yourself and your relationships, then it gives you another layer of perspective when Mm -hmm. things like that come up, which I think is very important 
because it's inevitable to come across people like that in life. Absolutely. And this is a a key kind of thing when it comes to the self-awareness of this stuff is remember that when you are more stressed from work or everyday life, that those things are more likely to push you into that realm of getting involved Mm -hmm. um, and taking it more personally. So yeah, it's really important to to know that it's going to be like a, a push and a pull. And that's why that constant work has to be. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There. Absolutely. Uh, when, I, when I was working with my therapist, she explained something to me called tolerance windows. And so we each have a certain uh, capacity, if you like, for different emotions. So for example, with me, I've got a very high tolerance for anger because I don't often get angry. Like for me to get to tip me over to be angry takes a lot. But something like, I don't know, uh, I'm very emotional. So I must have a lower tolerance for sadness or whatever it is, right? We each have different tolerance windows. And so when external things are going on in life, it impacts that level that you are automatically preset to have. And then if you layer other things on top of that, then it's easy to see why you can overreact or, um, you know, get re- get reactive just in general outside of yourself. Like I, I remember when I was a teenager, I used to think things and then I didn't want to say them, but I would just say them out of like an emotional charge. But inside I was like, I don't want to say that. So it's very easy to see like, you know, when you let yourself get to that point, when you don't trim the hedges or mow the grass, you don't look after the garden on a regular basis, it can get a little bit crazy and out of control. So Absolutely. that's why these regular things are super important. And I just think the skill of self-awareness is is undeniably important in the context of relationships. But if I ask you now just about romantic relationships specifically, mm-hmm. and guys, if you're listening, whether you're single or in a relationship, like this question's a good one to just have in the back of your mind, like, for the future. I just wanted to ask you, Simi, what do you think are the best two or three questions to ask your partner to be able to strengthen your communication with each other? You know, whether that is to understand something better about them or to to share something about yourself, what are the best things we can ask to actually get to know each other deeper? I think one thing that's often missed is that communication particularly for those who have an avoidant attachment style, is really quite challenging. And attachment styles are not there to shame the other person. It's about how to learn how to be with and communicate with that person. So asking someone like, what is your communication style? Because someone who is more avoidant is not likely to want to talk about it straight away. It's going to bring them anxiety. So they're going to need to self-regulate. For those that are anxious, they're going to want to sort it out straight away. So that person who's an avoidant might say, I need some space before I come back. And the anxious might say, well, you can take some space, but tell me you love me before you do. So you kind of meeting each other's needs. Asking people how they prefer to communicate is something that's so missed when it comes to relationship counseling. We'd like to think that there's a one size fit all, but I think all the positive relationship tools in that sense won't help you unless you understand how the wounds of the past are impacting that communication communication style. So that's where mm-hmm. I'd kind of start and get yeah. a, a really good um, foundation. The other one is always to see if there's any 
soft spots or triggers or wounds to kind of avoid. For example, for myself, I I won't do yelling. Like if you yell at me, like I'll I'll shut down and I'll leave. I'll totally flee. So so figuring out those wounds, that one is a bit more of a deeper one and that can take time rather than it being one specific question of like an unraveling. But I think they're like the two key areas to start with. What do you need now and what do you need what do you still need time from to process and work through? Yeah, amazing. Uh, and one thing I want to say, happy to get your thoughts on this as well, but I feel like especially when you're in a new relationship, even the first few years, it actually takes a few events or disagreements or moments of tension for you to actually work out, okay, how do we do this together? Because you can't, like, I mean, sure, you can have that conversation up front, but I feel like until it's actually put into practice and you're in a moment where you've just had a disagreement, you know, that's when you have the opportunity to say, okay, well, how can we do better next time and always refine? Because you're not always going to be perfect. Like your partner might be stressed. You might be super stressed. There might be things going on that impact how you show up or respond to different situations. But the first kind of couple times that you have those altercations or disagreements, whatever it is, you can strengthen that by reflecting on it. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a, I feel like at the very beginning, I remember like the way potentially we used to deal with things is not how we deal with things. Now we've been together seven years and we've had a lot of these conversations. I remember I'm the kind of person I like to nut it out. Let's talk about it here and now. Like, how are you feeling? What am I feeling? Let's just talk about it. Whereas he was like, I need a bit of space. Like I need some time. And I, and then until we had that conversation, I was like, you know, not feeling like my needs were met because I wanted to have a conversation. Whereas he was probably feeling like I was being super overbearing and mm-hmm. he just needed space. So now we kind of meet in the middle. We both take our five minutes or whatever it is, and then we have a chat when we're both ready. You know, we just check in. You ready to have a chat? Not yet. Okay, wait. So <laughs> I like that. That's really good. Takes, yeah, like, it, I mean, it takes time and it's not perfect and it might not work forever, but I think you've got to just be open to the fact that just to com- communication, honestly, I know it's so cliche. It's such a cliche. Communication is key, but it really is. And talking through things after they happen, you know, I think sometimes you can say, well, that defines us. What happened? That that defines us. But I actually think there's, there's a strength in what happens directly after, how you change or grow from a situation. You're never stuck in time to how something has happened or not happened. Absolutely. And exactly what you said is 100% right. Until you're in those tricky situations, you're not going to grow. You can have a relationship that gets it right 99% of the time and fall apart on that 1% because they don't know how to have um, healthy conflict repair. So I always try at the end of any argument for myself, and I, I use the word try because we're all not perfect, and it's the same with what I tell my clients is try and end the conversation with what can we do next time? What can we put in place next time that we can like kind of lean on. And that's always going to change because relationships require us to be flexible and people are so complex. You go through so many different things, so many different things in the past unravel at different times that it's not always going to be the exact same answer, but at least you can kind of start to build build a framework of what you think might be the best shot, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like just building out just little like silent rules between you guys as to we've got the puppy visiting. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, all good. We've got um we've got one particular rule and it's um we can never go to bed if if we're angry at each other or we haven't spoken through something. We we always need to resolve things before we go to sleep because that's the worst thing for me, like trying to have a good night's sleep while I'm pissed off or haven't spoken through something, my mind is just racing. 
So we always need to end on like a good note. That's our rule. There's um, Just on that note, there's a couple of really key little activities as well that for your listeners. Oh, yes. Um, Please share. If you want something like that and it's really hard for someone who's an avoidant for them to do that, you can come up with little things like like you touch fingers before bed and it's like you still love each other, you know what I mean? Like you know it's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, I always in the middle of an argument will say, would you like a glass of water? And it's not about the glass of water, but it's like my way of like remaining connected throughout the argument, even though I probably, I don't want to get that person a glass of water right now, but it's about finding little key tools and strategies that during your disagreements are going to keep you connected while you're disconnected. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, even just like little touch sometimes just says like we're we're, we're good. Like you know we're good. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So for someone listening right now who feels like they want more aligned relationships in general, that could be friendships, that could be at work, just in general, they want relationships that just feel more aligned. Maybe they're dealing with some toxic people. Maybe they feel like they've got a lot of surface level kind of relationships. How do you go about finding those? Is there a process? Is there things to look out for? Is it just a reflection of yourself? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So it goes a little bit um, back to what I was saying before where our brain will pick familiar and it it doesn't care whether or not that person's good for us long term. So the best way to kind of bring awareness and step out of that is get a pen and paper and write out everything that you want in a relationship. What do you want the relationship to look like? How do you want to be in the relationship? Um, what are your values? What are you looking for? What's key? And having that awareness, then you're going to be able to start to recognize people off that list a lot better where a lot of people think that there's, we romanticize this idea of like the one and they will just know. But if we don't even know ourselves, we don't even know what we're looking for. So we tolerate a lot less. So it's True. really important to get very specific about what it is you want it's not going to shave down the dating pool as people think it's going to actually just switch your lens into looking at things that might be more appropriate and suited to your long-term vision and goals as a person when it comes Mm, to friendships in that sense if you're single right now and you're wanting to find more friendships and relationships go put yourself in activities that really light you up and give you joy and fill your bucket and through that kind of network you're going to meet more aligned people a lot of people have this belief that they'll kind of start life when they meet someone but even if you met your dream person right now and they came along and you said oh well these are all the things I want to do but you haven't done any of them it's not going to be the most attractive thing same as if you meet a partner and they're saying I want to do all these things but they're sitting at home watching Netflix every day so it's putting yourself back in those environments where you might meet friends you might meet partners you might meet friends who introduce you to a future partner all these different environments are going to bring out the best in you and the best in your relationships yeah absolutely and I think that's a really key starting point for people who feel like they haven't found their tribe or just want more like-minded people put yourself in scenario situations of things you like because you're going to be there with other people who like those things it's just you know it makes sense when you say it out loud but it's not often the first thing we think of doing so I think that's really important and that's you know your side your side hobbies, the things you enjoy doing out of work on the weekend, fill your time with things that light you up. Simi, I want to end on something that's really important um, and it's boundaries in the context of relationships. What do you feel is the most important boundary we need to set or tips on how to set it? That's a really good question. I think the most important 
boundary is being able to have a boundary between togetherness and separateness and being able to mm. create boundaries that allow you and even for those of my little anxious attachments out there who might not want that separateness sometimes it's really important for you to set a boundary to have that time to yourself so you can self-reflect on yourself in the relationship, the, how the relationship is going. And that's not to hyperfixate on it, but to ensure that it's also going to align with you in the future instead of mm -hmm. listening to all those old survival coping mechanisms and just wanting that instant connection. So creating those boundaries is so important and particularly if you've got an anxious and an avoidant as well because it's going to create boundaries that allow the avoidant to have more freedom and the, the anxious to have more together time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if we zoom out and we look at this in the context of the balance theory, you've got your health, your relationships, and then your fulfillment or your work, your career, your hobbies, all of that. If everything is within this one category, you actually don't get to define yourself in your areas of fulfillment, in your health, Everything you do is dependent on the version of you in a relationship and that only serves a part of your life. It's, it's an important part and it gives us a lot. But I think the starting point for a lot of people and I guess the belief or the thing behind this boundary is that you are your own person before you are someone in a relationship and it's actually really important to embody that because it helps you be better in a relationship. It gives your partner the space to be themselves in the relationship. So I really like this boundary. Um, I remember listening to Jay Shetty once and he said, across a week, you need to have, and I mean, obviously you can change these, change these numbers out depending on what works for you. But just as a general guide, he was saying, you know, two nights to yourself, one night with friends, one night with your family, and then maybe two nights with your partner. Something like that. So mm -hmm. you have a variety across your week where you're split between, oh no, sorry, it was, let me say that again. It was one night with your friends, one night with communal friends, so you and your partner, communal friends. It was maybe another night with family, a couple nights for yourself, and then a couple nights just the two of you. So you can diversify your relationships. You, you know, I, I feel like a really important thing is having your own friends as well, and that doesn't mean that they don't see your friends or vice versa, but it's you have your own time with your girlfriends or he has his own time with the boys whatever it is. And then you also spend time with communal friends. That's something that we've tried to keep alive for a long time. And I think is really important just for yourself because you get energy from different people, different situations in different ways. It fills you up in different ways and it almost makes you feel really complete when you have all these different avenues. So it's just creating that space and this boundary of togetherness and, and yourself uh, I think I think it all plays into that really nicely, and I definitely think it's super important to our balance in general. I like to look at it as bubbles. So like you've kind of got like your friend bubble, like your relationship bubble, like your spiritual and personal growth bubble, you've got your physical health and fitness, and it's about making sure that you're pouring enough water kind of into each bubble to keep them afloat. Um, and that's so key because when you do all those things and you go back to your romantic relationship, you're kind of very proud and you're like, look what I've done and look what I did and look at my new goal I set. And it actually keeps the relationship alive more than what people think because there's like a constant new version of you that's showing up and it's keeping everything exciting and interesting and it's really healthy. I think that it's very challenging these days because 
we've gone from having a whole community to support um, to guide and support us to now putting all of that kind of onto one person. And that's a lot of pressure because they might get it right 95% of the time and drop the ball that 5% of the time. And we kind of fixate on that 5% of the time. That's a really good point. Like we've moved away from that tribal communal, you know, vibe. And now we just have, you know, a little bit more lone wolf lives, really. We're not as connected. Some people don't even know their neighbours. So, I mean, I don't. That's I'll, I'll throw my hand up there. Neither do I. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, all super important. Simi, I think we could probably chat for ages, but I'm going to have to wrap it up there. I want to thank you so much for coming out of your interview retirement for me today. You're welcome. I really appreciate having you on the show. I've learned a lot and the listeners would have learned a lot. And if they want to connect with you, follow along, maybe um, check out the JAR Academy. Where's the best place they can go? And I'll pop some links in the show notes. Amazing. Come check me out on Instagram, guys. All all my stuff's on there and I, I keep up to date there regularly about what's new and exciting and coming. Beautiful. Well, I'll pop links in the show notes. Thank you again so much for your time. Thank you so much.